Let's pray together. Lord, our prayer today is that you encourage us and let there be ground ready to bear fruit. Prepare us to hear your word, your word, your voice, your call. Prepare us to be reminded of a call you've already given. Prepare us to hear. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray you would give us courage. The promise of courage and boldness and truth. Comfort. Thank you for it. Without you, we do nothing. And we actually celebrate that. I'm grateful for you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. I've got a quarter in my hand. Quarter. If you have change in your pocket from this country, you could pull out a quarter, you could pull out a dime, you could pull out a nickel or a penny. I checked this morning to make sure that what I am about to say is in fact true. And every one of these coins has four words on it, every one of them. In God, we trust. For the penny, it's over President Lincoln's head, behind the head of President Washington here, but it's there. It's always on the front. In God, we trust. Booker T. Washington said this, Few things can help an individual more than to place responsibility on him and to let him know that you trust him. Few things can help an individual more than to know you've placed responsibility on him and to let him know that you trust him. So today I want to talk to you about this. In we, God trusts. In we, God is the one that trusts. We're looking through the New Testament, right? We're walking through the Gospels. It's been a fun journey. On Wednesdays, we do a podcast, and we talk through a lot of these things and pick a particular chapter for that particular Wednesday. So Monday to Friday of each week, you're just reading a chapter a day, and we're working our way through. We finish the Gospels. We're just about to be done with the book of Acts, which is like a, a mile marker, and now we're going to move into the book of Romans over the next several weeks, and the, the letters of Paul. I encourage you to join us if you started and stopped, or wherever you are in the whole process. Someone the other day told me, I've read the first chapter of Genesis 500 times. We all know what that is, right? We start, and we hit the chapter, and, we're, and then we just flame out. I get it. Just pick her back up. This week, we're reading Acts 22 through 26. 22 through 26. If I gave a quiz on Acts 22 through 26, me included in that quiz, the scores would not be good. Like, the scores would not be good. Most of us do not know much about, like on quick recall. What's going on in those last chapters? Now, now next week, we'll talk about a shipwreck and Paul, and we kind of get that. But, but this stuff that's happening 22 through 26, if I say it, you're like, oh, right, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember that. But to just produce it 
And it's a very interesting section because these chapters are all about Paul, like 100% all about Paul. He is the singular character. Now, some of you are thinking, and rightly so, that in the beginning of the book of Acts, the first several chapters were about Peter, the apostle Peter, right? And then it shifts to Saul and that conversion. And we talked about that in the last couple of weeks. And then the shift in his name changes to Paul. So you've got Peter in the first part of Acts and Paul in the second part. But there are elders in Ephesus and the Philippian church and all these different groups of people and things happening. And it's kind of a collective. And James was the pastor in Jerusalem. And they would, they would all get together. Like, there's a lot of people involved. The cast is long. What's interesting about these five chapters is all those folks are gone. You're not reading about Peter. There's no James involved. No, it's just, even when Paul is in Jerusalem, or when he's in Caesarea, or wherever he is, it's just him. Low-budget film right now. It's just one guy. And his story. You don't hear about the elders. You don't hear, in fact... Opening up this chapter, he had just said to the elders, you're not going to see me any longer. And he starts this solo trek. But as it was already said today, Tyon said it. When you're walking with the Lord, you're never solo. You're never really alone. So he's not with any believers, not with any elders, but he's before Roman leadership. As you read chapter to chapter this week, if it strikes you the same way it struck me, this is almost like made-for-TV stuff. This is like the, the Jack Reacher drop all at once, man. Like all 14 episodes, you know, boom, and you just like binge them all. You read all five chapters, and when you finish one, it's like drawing you into the next. When I was reading it, I'm like, this is like a Jack Ryan novel or something. Like you read that, and then there's this little hanger at the end. Oh, I need to find out in the next chapter what's going on. And it's just Paul in front of the Roman leaders. What you might also find fun. A few weeks ago, Tina, who's here, joined us on the podcast. And she joined us because she had some questions about, if I recall correctly, the Saul dude is what I think you referred to him as, right? The Saul dude. Like, I had questions about him. And I love that because it's brand new, and all, we were all around the microphone, and we're like, man, I can't even remember the number of times I've read Acts 9. I can't remember the number of times I've preached Acts 9. And Tina's like, I can remember the number of times I've read Acts 9. One. <laughs> which was awesome, which is exactly why we were sitting around the table, right? And the newness and the freshness of that. And, and as she was working through the scripture, which was so just encouraging for me, and she said, you know, I see this thing here, but, like, I thought you had to get baptized, and then you receive the Spirit. I said, ah, wait one chapter. Chapter 10 is coming, where you receive the Holy Spirit, and then you get baptized, right? It's just, that's mixed. And so in here, what's going on is in Acts 9, the conversion of Saul, we hear about the light and the voice from heaven, and my God, my God, you know, and Lord, who are you, and all that, and, and he says, I'm Jesus whom you persecute, and, that, and then he goes on to Damascus. Reading through these five chapters this week, is Paul retelling twice, two different times, before Roman leaders. He stands before them. Elders aren't there. Church friends aren't there. He is a solo act. And he's standing before them retelling the story. And it's enhanced. 
with much greater detail. You referenced it recently. It's hard to kick against the, the pricks or the goads, right? It's hard to kick against that. That comes from here. That wasn't in the original Acts 9 reading or the commentary there. So there's more expanded things. Look forward to that. It's good stuff. I'm reading through chapter 24. The verses should be behind me in the NIV. On 24, verse 14, Paul is before Felix. Now, Felix is a governor, just like Pilate was a governor. Right? Governor Pilate. Felix is a governor. And then from Felix, he does his term, and a guy named Festus comes in. How many of you are thinking of Gunsmoke? Okay. Google it, Emma. Yeah, so Felix and Festus, and then this guy, King Agrippa, he comes in, right? These are the people. So he's before the first governor, Felix, verse 14. He says, here's, he's just talking to them. He goes, listen, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers. Because you see, he's in these situations, and people are trying to stop the message. They're trying to stop the good news. They're trying to say, look, we're Jewish believers and you have to do this. And Paul is like, no, you don't. And this big uproar. So he's making a case. He says, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way. That's how it's referred to in the New Testament. The book of Acts calls them followers of the way. Usually when you were in the way, it wasn't a good thing. <laughs> like, you're in the way, get out of the way. This is a good thing. You're in the way. Which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. Paul worships the God of the fathers. He's saying all that. It's very interesting. I was listening to Richard Rohr this week. And he was talking about peace in our world. And he was talking about it Richard Rohr is a Franciscan, lives in New Mexico. He was talking about the monotheistic religions. And I said this for a long, long time, and it was fun to hear someone else say this. You've got Judaism and Christianity and Islam. And he said, if there was a chance for peace, you'd think it could come from the three monotheistic religions. Just interesting to consider. Being is how they worship the same God, which sets people off a little bit initially, right? But all of those go back to Abraham. So whoever Abraham's God was, that's who all these people worship. Right? Islam traces it back through Ishmael. And, of course, Judaism through Isaac. And then Christianity right, through the line of David. And it goes all the way back to Abraham. So essentially, whoever Abraham worshipped, that's who they're all worshipping. Now, we understand, particularly in Christianity, that Jesus... Jesus fits in there. So you read this, and he's making this pitch. And in chapter 25, Felix is done, this guy, the governor. And he's replaced by Festus. That's chapter 25. And Festus gets in and sees Paul right away. It's almost like the transition, you know, of governance. And Felix is probably like, deuces, man. I don't want any part of this. And he's out. And Festus comes in. And as soon as Festus comes in... He's going to see Paul immediately. It says like three days later. He like takes the oath of office and three days later he's talking with Paul immediately. But he doesn't know much about it. And so he reaches out to King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa. Now a lot of this can confuse you, but 
Uh, I'll just try to help you real quickly. Herod, the Bible just says Herod. There were three particular Herods in there. Herod the Great is the one when Jesus was born. The Herod that talked to the wise men that said, let me know and I'll go worship him. And then he had all the babies killed. That Herod. That's Herod the Great. This guy, Herod Agrippa, is his grandson. And there's one right in the middle called Antipas. And Antipas is the one that was around for Jesus and his crucifixion. So there's a Herod at Jesus' birth, Herod the Great. There's a Herod Antipas at Jesus' crucifixion. And then there's a Herod Agrippa. And sometimes they're just called Herod, which is kind of just like leader or lord or something like that, right? And then this guy also Agrippa. So this is that grandson of Herod the Great. And Festus calls him in as a resource. What was that TV show where you got to call a lifeline or something? He's like calling. He goes, bro, I don't know anything about these people. Like, help me out here. He's a Roman governor. But King Agrippa, Herod Agrippa, had been there a long time. So he's consulting with him. I want to take you to chapter 25 and verse 16. So this is Festus, and he's consulting with King Agrippa. And this is Festus speaking. He says, I told them uh, that it's, it's not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he's faced his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. This is an interesting twist. Paul is a Roman citizen. So you're going to see some times as you read in here that they flog him. One time a centurion, just he, he saved him from the crowd that beat him, and then he just sent him over there and he goes, flog him. Paul took a beating, and then they were going to release him. <laughs> and this is all the cool little rising conflict. This is like the CIA novel, right? All these little rising conflicts. Paul looks over and he says, I mean, I'm sure he's like, he's hurt, and he's, he's putting his cloak on or whatever, you know, his shirt. And he looks over and he says, yeah, you know, I'm not sure, but I don't think it's legal to beat a Roman citizen without a trial. He kept that one in his back pocket. Freaked everybody out. Like they were like, oh no. They could get in bad, bad juju with that. So he is this Roman citizen. Festus is speaking about it. It says, when they came here with me, I did not delay the case. As I mentioned, he saw it right away. Convened the court the next day, ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, this is the Jewish people, right? He had them all come. He goes, you want to accuse Paul? Come on. When the accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, this is beautiful, this is so fun. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who, who Paul claimed was alive. Like some aside. That's the whole shooting match right there, friends. Right? They've got all these little disputes and things and this other little deal, I don't know, he says Jesus was dead and now he's alive. That's it. That's the difference. Jesus being dead and now being alive is the difference. When you have Islam and Judaism and Christianity, and you take them back to Abraham and the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, that's the same God. Jesus, and sometimes we say Jesus is the deal breaker, but I'd rather you say Jesus is the deal maker. Jesus is the deal maker. 
Because the entire Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, is such that in one sentence it is this. I could not get it done. I cannot produce my own righteousness. I can't get the job done. One word would be insufficient. I am insufficient. But I am who you say I am. Isn't that correct? How many of us sang that a few moments ago? And do you know what he says you are when you believe in who he is? When you believe in who he is, he tells you who you are. And he says you're innocent. That's what he says you are. He says you're righteous. You're innocent. And I know I'm not. And you certainly know I'm not. But he says I'm innocent. And I believe the song goes, I am who you say I, I am. Right. Jesus, the deal maker. You see this, I was dead and now I'm alive thing. That's the thing that turns running away disciples. Guys that are scattering like roaches in a light. Those guys. Turns those guys in to bold voices of gospel truth. That stand with courage. This isn't a second generation. It's not a third generation. It's not Grandpa Peter ran away, but I'm standing tall. It was the same people. The people that ran, the people that turned tail and took off, the people that were saving their own skin, the people that were hiding and cussing to prove they weren't followers of Jesus and all the things they did. Those people, once he's alive, changes everything. How about for you? I wonder, personally for myself often, and I, I chide myself a little bit. I mean, I don't beat myself up, but I, 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 you know, I'm like, Andy, I don't think you're living right now like you actually believe Jesus is alive, my friend. Like, I don't believe you're living right now as if you actually believe he has all power in heaven and earth. And I'm telling you that I say it to myself. Sometimes I'm in that space, and what, 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 you tell me, what, am, what are the things I'm feeling? Just take some guesses. Doubt, fear, anxiety, concern. When I know he's changed my life, and somehow I, and I hope it's encouraging you, I just drift a bit. And I forget. I'm like, I don't think you're living like, because I think if you actually were dialed in to the reigning Christ, Jesus is Lord, that Christ. You might not be feeling this same way, buddy. I think it's good to consider. In chapter 26, verse 15, the title today is In We God Trusts, right? A little play off of the In God We Trust, but in, in We God Trusts, here's the commission. It's not going to be in red letters for you up here. But it's in red letters. Here's the commission. Listen to this. Paul retelling the story, right? This will be one of those times that he's retelling the story of his conversion. Then I ask, this is Paul speaking, who are you, Lord? Many of us are familiar with this. The reply is in red letters. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. 16. Here's what he says. Get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you. Now, we know that in the Acts 9 reading, 
he tells Ananias, go tell Paul that he's going to speak before kings and the things he's going to have to suffer, because those kind of go together. He's going to speak before kings and he's going to suffer. Sometimes I think about this when there's suffering and struggle. No struggle, no speaky before kings. You don't have to struggle, but you won't speak before kings. You don't have to have a hard go. This can be an easy little gig for you. We live in western Indiana, Christianity's easy. It can be an easy little Christian gig for you, but you won't speak before kings. You suffer, and you speak before kings. That's just kind of how it goes. Quiet in here. Interesting. Listen to what he says. Get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness a witness of what you've seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so then King Agrippa, Paul speaking to him, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. That's not in Acts 9. Paul expands this broader for us. Did you catch the progression? A progression in the reading. Listen again. Jesus says in 16, Kelly, if you could cue that, verse 16. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you. I. Who's the I? Jesus. Jesus is like, I'm here, hoss. <laughs> like, I'm here. I have appeared to you to appoint you. I am appointing you as a servant and a witness. And you will witness what you've seen me do. And you will witness what I will show you. There's a lot of eyes there. I will rescue you, verse 17, from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them, end of verse 17. That's a lot of eyes there, friends. Who's saying those? Jesus. You see, the progression starts with Jesus. It always starts with Jesus. It starts with Jesus. Jesus saying, first of all, Jesus intersecting our life. Can you even imagine, like, two minutes before the light hit Paul on the road to Damascus? Not Paul, but Jesus. I don't know if those robes have pockets, but maybe he's standing over there, like, waiting, like, two minutes. One minute, 30 seconds. I, you know, I don't know, man. There's something. Whatever the deal was, what was the trigger? And all of a sudden, he's waiting. He has a plan, you know. He has a plan, you know. For you, for me, for all of us. He's waiting. Whatever was the appointed time, whatever was the appointed place, whatever the deal was. You ever had God meet you at a place and you realize, ah, that was an appointed place. He was there way before you got there. He had his eyes on that place 
as TJ said, he was sitting in that chair waiting for you to show up. His plan for Saul, as he saw, as he saw Saul bumping around, hurting people, just messing stuff up. And he saw him and he waited. And then, bam, light and voice and the whole thing calls him. God says, I have appeared to you. I will appoint you as a servant and a witness. And what you'll witness is what you've seen me do and what I'm going to show you. Then he says, I'll rescue you from your people and I'm sending you to them. And then it transitions, verse 18. It goes from Jesus to Paul. Verse 18, he says, then what you'll do is you're going to open their eyes. And you're going to turn them from darkness to light. And from the power of Satan to God. So that, now we transition again, here's what they do. So that they receive forgiveness of sin. And a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to call you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to have you be a servant, and I'm going to have you be a witness. And I'm going to tell you what to say, and I'm going to show you what to speak. And I'm going to act it out, and all you're going to do is tell them what you see me do. But in the telling, Paul, here's what you're going to do. You're going to open their eyes. You're going to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God. That's what you're going to do. In we God trusts. He has this big plan. And it's bigger than Paul had. Bigger than you and I have. Bigger than we can imagine or think, Scripture tells us. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to what? The power that works in us. I want you to tap into that power today. The power that he says, I'm giving you. I've already given you. It's already there. My prayer this morning was that we would listen. But my prayer was also that we would be reminded of something already spoken. Rekindled. Something already given to us. Something that you probably only know. Maybe you didn't even tell anybody else. You know. A couple weeks ago, I had coffee with someone. I had coffee with them because they did a Facebook post. And they said, if I could have coffee with four people, here's who they'd be. And I was one of the four. And so I followed up with them and had coffee with him. Used to be a her, but now it's a him. Followed up with him and sat there. And I said, hey, we were at Java Hode. I said, hey, how did I make your list? And he said, you're one of my table flippers. And I'm like, table flipper? Like Jesus in the temple table flipper? And he said, yes. And I'm like, that's cool. I like that. Awesome. And then he said to me, You know I was called into the ministry at 14. And I said, tell me more. Tell me about it. Tell me about the rekindling of your calling. Tell me about the moment of intersection where God healed you, Paul Moore. 
in that bathtub. Tell me about that. Tell me about the moments when Jesus shows up and intersects. Tell me about those moments. Tell me about times around the front of this very building where God has spoken something, quickened something, given you an I statement from him that is a gift to you to bring people from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and find a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Not me. I wasn't the one talking. He's, Jesus is the one talking. It's always bringing people to faith in him. We're the pipe, we're not the water, we know that. But 19, so then King Agrippa, he says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. So friends, let me tell you how this plays out. There's a progression of Jesus to us, to them, and then back to us. That's where we're going to land a plane today, and I hope your plane takes off. Jesus says, tells us what we're going to be able to do through his direction and power. The results in people's lives from darkness to light and power of Satan to power of God. That is awesome. Right here. Awesome. But then it comes back to us. And frankly, it is contingent upon verse 19. He says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. God has spoken. It's a room full of people that love Jesus. I know this is a true statement. God has spoken to us, told us. We heard what we were supposed to do. We knew what would happen. And we're still hanging around in verse 19. Are we going to do it or not do it? What are we going to do with it? Right? It's right there. And thank you, Jesus, aren't you thankful, for a loving and patient and long-suffering, faithful God whose mercies are new every morning, every day. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. The last reading, 26, verse 28 and 29. Agrippa says to Paul, he says, you think in such a short time you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? What a cool line, man. Paul's just busting out. He's like, you think you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? Some translations say you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Okay, look at this next verse. Paul replies, short time or long? Like, I don't care. What I do pray, I pray, God, that not only you, Agrippa, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Except, of course, these chains. Message says, except, of course, this prison jewelry. Paul says, what I pray to God is that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am. I think if we were honored to have Paul stand here and deliver this message today, which I think he would, and he would look at us and he would say, my prayer to God is that all of you, all of you who are listening may become what I am. 
All of us. And I asked the question, what does that mean, Paul? Does that mean you want me to be an apostle? Does that mean you want me to be brilliant like a Pharisee, brilliant in the word? Does it mean you want me to be an author? Is that what you're calling me to be, an author? To be what I am, a preacher, a teacher, a miracle worker? Paul, what in the world is it that you're calling me to be? When you say, I just wish all who are listening to me today may become what I am. Paul told us what I am. We read it already. It's in the same chapter, verse 19. What I am is I am not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Apostle, yeah. Author of half the New Testament, guilty, yeah. Miracle worker, teacher, intelligent, preacher, yeah, he says. But what I am, consistently through all that, I am not disobedient to the vision. God tells us what he can do, what he will do, what he wants to do. And we, the call for us today, is simply this. To not be disobedient. Now, does it strike anybody in here that he could have said, King Agrippa... I've been obedient to the vision from heaven. That strike anybody else? He's the double negative. I'm not disobedient. I thought, why didn't you just say, I've been obedient? And to me, this is kinder, more open. You know, sometimes in my walk with God and trying to fulfill my walk with God, you come on up, man. I haven't done everything right. And I'm not talking about wishy-washy. I mean like locked on. Like I'm locked on. And I still didn't do it exactly right. I wouldn't have gotten 100% on the score. I wasn't fully obedient. But you know what else? I was not disobedient. I wasn't fully obedient. I didn't do everything right. But I wasn't disobedient. Because when he called me to go, I went. And when he called me to speak, I spoke. And when he called me to be, I was. And what he's put in your heart, that's the call today. In your heart. What's he said? What's he said? What's he saying? Maybe a lifetime calling. I've wrestled with my lifetime calling for most of my life. Not that I don't want to do it. I just don't know how it always fits. I just don't know what it always looks like. And I have ideas of what I think it looks like in an honest heart. And then I find out, ah, it wasn't exactly, I guess it wasn't that. And I feel like a car at a bumper thing, you know, like, I'm, okay, boom, okay, got knocked over here. Okay, boom, hit that. All right, a little too close to the rail there, right? I'm the guy that's just like here, you know, but the lane traveling. Paul says, I am not disobedient to the vision. Sometimes I feel like we hang ourselves up because we have to feel as if we get it all right 
we did it all right, no mistakes, 100% clean lock. And because that's our expectation, we don't move at all. There's a business practice I was reading this week about delegation. Michael Hyatt says this. If someone can do your job 70% as good as you, give it away. If they can do your job 70% as good as you, give it away. Isn't that interesting? And then they go on to talk to the CEO or whoever the person is that's giving it away. And they say, it's going to be hard for you to give it away. Because you know you could do it 100%. But you're not serving the business when you do that. And we're not serving the kingdom when we think we have to nail it 100%. You see, in we, God trusts. Do you think he knows who he's dealing with? Do you think he knows who he's working with? Better than we know ourselves. And yet calls us. And yes, I want to get a 95 on the test. But I think God is a lot like Michael Hyatt. <laughs> he says, yeah, you're probably only good for 70%, but I'm going to give it to you, son. Go with it. Run with it. I'll make up the difference. I'll be there to pick up the slack. You're only going to tell him what I show you anyway. You're only going to tell him what I reveal to you anyway. I'd like to be like Paul. Brian said it a couple weeks ago. Maybe last week, I guess, Brian said it. He wanted to be like Paul. What are you thinking? Miracles and all those things? No, Paul just says, I was just not disobedient. He called and I said yes. That's what salvation is today, too. Do you know that? Salvation can be so hard for sometimes. Sometimes Christianity makes it so, so, so difficult. You ready? I'm going to give it to you easy. Simple. I'm a hot mess. I need a Savior. Jesus is a Savior. Ready for it? Yes. That's it. It's believing in Him and who He is. And we believe in who He is. And then all these things happen in us. All these things happen in us. Would you stand with me today? me if I remember that. I'm offended. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to, to take him at his word. Just to, to rest upon Upon the promise. He says, I'm going to do it, man. I'm going to call you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to guide you. The